My guest today is Heather Ripp. Heather quit her job as an anesthetist to start a software company focused on offering a streamlined continuum of care for surgical patients. But when COVID hit, her company and her dreams took a back seat while she did her part in serving her community by intubating patients in the ICU and saving lives as a healthcare professional. This desire to serve others led her to a new business opportunity. She joined Wellness for Humanity and opened COVID testing sites in Atlanta and New York, creating a new concept of care, concierge medicine. Heather's on a mission to make the world a better place. We talk about her experience in the ICU, the tools she uses to deal with stress and adversity, and what she's doing with her company to make the world a healthier place. Without further ado, my friend, Heather Rett. You and I met um, in past lives for both of us in a lot of ways. Back when I was in Atlanta doing medical sales and and you were an anesthetist um, in the operating room. So I'm curious if your past or anything that that you learned from your parents, um, what was it that made you want to get into anesthesia and into medicine? And was it some sort of purpose or how'd you get into being an anesthetist? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so my mom um, had me pretty young and um, really had not finalized her career when she had me and then had three more children. So I was the oldest of four growing up and um, she wasn't as independent as I think she wanted to be. Um, and then when my dad left, she realized, you know, I need to get to work. I need to find something to do. And she really like always wanted to be in medicine. So she followed her dreams of like finishing undergrad um, at Oglethorpe, which is like a local Atlanta, you know, um, university, and then heard about this anesthesia PA program, um, actually like the night before she was taking her MCAT. So she knew she wanted to go on, whether that was like an MD or PA. Um, So she was going to take this test that gets you into school. And she met my stepdad, who was actually an orthopedic surgeon. And he's like, you know, for moms, there's this awesome program called like physician assistant anesthesia. Like you should come shadow. Like this would be great for you since you're already a little older. She was like 35 at the time or 34 maybe. And so she went in and that's what she did. So um, I was probably 12 when she started anesthesia school at Emory. And um, I was like full on mom because we couldn't afford help really. And, um, you know, she was studying all the time and she couldn't work while in anesthesia school at Emory. So it was me and three little ones and trying to keep afloat. Um, And when she graduated, uh, her and my stepdad were still together and they got married and had a baby. And I just saw like how it really changed my mom's life. I was like, wow, that stability is amazing. Like she can take care of herself, uh, led to a great career where she was helping people. And so I thought that's really what I wanted to do. Um, so, so you had, so your mom, so your mom was an anesthetist as well. And your, your mm-hmm. stepdad was an, was an orthopedic surgeon. Did you feel like there was something more to healthcare in terms of just helping people? And did you feel like there was like a purpose that you were driven to? Yeah, it's crazy because I think, um, you know, when you first go into medicine, like I think the answer, and I don't know if this was for you, 
but it's like, I can't wait to like serve people and serve a bigger purpose and help people. And I really thought like going into anesthesia, it might actually be boring. I was like, well, I don't get to follow patients like through their journey, right? Of like from start to finish, like I just see them on the operating room day. And um, I really think that's why like it wasn't a good fit for me. I really felt like, and even if I had been a physician, like in orthopedics, there, there's really no like end-to-end solution in medicine as we know it today. It's just like, hey, I go to the doctor when I'm already sick or when I don't already feel well. And then like you fix the problem or you put me to sleep for today. And, um, you know, I was driven to like help people, but it didn't really, it just felt like a hamster wheel of dealing with the same type of patient, the same type of issues. And like, no one was fixing like this overall encompassing problem that there's no communication among physicians and, you know, like, why are you sick? What's going on internally? And, um, you know, like we're just fixing things as they come. I don't know. Uh, did you feel that way in the operating room at all? I mean, you were obviously pulled to medicine and, um, what's kind of your take on how you saw patients come in. Yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective because I do feel in a way that healthcare is siloed and it's very specialized now. It's like gone are the days of of living in like a small town and having like the doctor, right? Yeah. Like someone's sick and they come in and there's just a doctor. And it's like, well, you got to fix everything. Um, and as we get more specialized in healthcare, even even in the specialized areas, like, okay, well, you can be an orthopedic surgeon. Well, now you're not just an orthopedic surgeon. You're, you're a joint surgeon or you're a sports surgeon. And if you're a sports surgeon, are you a knee surgeon? Are you a, so, a shoulder surgeon? Uh, and then even, even more so, are you a hand surgeon? Are you a foot surgeon? There's podiatry. So yeah, everything, everything is so segmented and specialized. And I guess when, when I look at it from, from what you were doing in terms of uh, anesthesia, it's like, okay, well, there's, there's two jobs that, that I really have. Three jobs, I guess. It's uh, We need to put the patient asleep when they come in for surgery. We need to keep the patient asleep and alive while they're, while they're out. And then we have to wake them up uh, safely. But you're right. You don't really see the end outcome. All you see is that you have done your portion of the surgery and you've done it successfully. Um, and for me... I, I think that I get a little bit more of, of the full spectrum as a, as a surgical rep because I'm speaking to the surgeons ahead of time. Um, so I, I understand the problem that the patient is having. Um, I'm in the operating room making sure that the case goes well, that our products are being used correctly. Uh, but then I'm also following up afterwards. And I think because there's open communication uh, after the surgery, we're constantly asking, how are these patients doing? Uh, what's the results of this new procedure you're doing? How is this implant working comparative to others. So, you know, while there's HIPAA restrictions in terms of like, yeah, we're not supposed to use patient names, um, we are asking and we are getting feedback on how patients are doing uh, utilizing our our products. So I think in that way, I, I do feel like I get a little bit more kind of full spectrum and I, I do get satisfaction knowing like, okay, well, uh, th- this doctor didn't know, you know, that this was an option. And I provided it as a service and the patient did really well because of it. So 
in a way, I guess maybe I, I had a little bit more satisfaction um, from it than you did. But I can absolutely see where you're coming from. I can. And it's, it's like, even why are they coming in or why do they need the joint replacement? And I mean, it's like, we know it's arthritis. We know it's because they're overweight and we know it's because they're not exercising. But like, where in the process are you healing like the soul of the person or like the problem, like at the root of the issue, which is like, why don't they want to exercise or like, why are they tired all the time? Like it just, you know, like we, we focused on like, there's a problem. I need to fix it. And, and instead of looking at like the overall encompassing, like what um, kind of is going on overall. Yeah. So you felt like you weren't contributing to, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you really felt like you weren't contributing necessarily to the outcome um, yeah. with the patient. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, outcome. And then like also on the, on the early side of it, I, you know, how many patients like go to the doctor when they're just okay? I mean, do you go to the doctor if you're feeling fine? Like other than for like maybe your annual checkup, it's like, you know, if we have like a ping or a pain or something doesn't feel right. Like we're typically like, you just brush it off because there's no ease of getting tests to get these like problems solved. Or, you know, it's just kind of like, we only go to the doctor when we're sick and we have a problem, but like, what about before the problem? You know, and I know we're trying to move towards that, but it doesn't seem like we've come up with a great solution for that. Yeah. So I guess prophylactic health or prophylactic Mm -hmm. wellness. Um, So what have you done in your life to kind of, adapt and value that in terms of like your career and and your purpose? Yeah, I think it's super important. I I meditate a good bit. Um, and I really find, find that stillness and quiet every day is, is super helpful. Um, but overall just like trying to practice, um, what I preach. So, you know, having a regular exercise routine that fills my soul, that's not just for weight loss. That's not just to get strong. It's actually that makes me feel good. Um, that's balance, right? Uh, too much of anything is, is not a good thing. Right. Um, and then putting that into, um, my children's life. So, you know, trying to stay active with them and, um, the importance of like eating healthy and does this food make you feel good? Or does this, you know, like, do we need all this sugar? You know, of course they can eat sugar, but like at what extent, um, (laughs) is too much. And I know for you, um, you've got a big uh, health, you know, journey as well. Um, I want to hear more about how, you, like, you know, you kind of found running and and why that why that fuels you. Yeah, I think um, I love what you're saying about about doing things kind of before they become issues, and I think specifically in in medicine and specifically in the area that we were in in surgery you know we didn't really get to see that we didn't get to see preventative medicine mm-hmm. um but i think it's really important and i think i think like you said nutrition and fitness i don't know that there's anything more important in terms of preventative uh medicine for for strength for cardio for just wellness in general so you know you asked about about what i have done to kind of find running and, and, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at 18. Um, but what I realized was I just, I could kind of, I could stop the effects of the disease 
or slowed down the progression of the disease, I should say, um, by like rigorous physical activity, more so than even medication, which was kind of eye-opening to me. And, and, and you know, that's like a, a case study that you could really um, look at and say, well, is that actually true? Um, but I could tell you, I, I felt that way. So when I eat healthy and, and when I work out to a point where I'm like physically exhausted and my lungs are burning for the rest of that day and for the rest of that week, I just felt like I was better. Um, and while it didn't completely slow the progression of the disease, uh, it, it made me feel like I had some accountability and I had some ownership of my own life. And, mm-hmm. and that was huge. That was really important to me. So that's kind of what really got me into it. And then running, I, I just, you know, it's one of those things I hate running so much. Like running just sucks. <laughs> So I just knew I had to do it. <laughs> and, and, you know, I went years and years and years of never running. And then, and then this past year, I, I realized that, well, I, I've always wanted to run a marathon. So there's not a better time to do it than now. And, and time kind of freed up with, uh, with COVID and, and quarantine. So there was more time available for training. I was able to work from home more often. Um, so I just kind of took advantage of that opportunity. But the one thing that you have done is you actually started a health and wellness blog uh, and company. So tell me about that. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, um, I was going to ask you this really quick before we move into that. Yeah. When you said, um, you know, you, you hate running, so you felt like you had to do it. Um, that's like my favorite um, question to ask people is like, what makes you more want to do that than like someone else saying like, well, I don't want to do it. I'm going to like step away from it. Like, what about that uncomfortableness um, gets you excited? So I have a theory that um, I think... Uh, it's like perseverance is a muscle and you have to work that muscle out. Uh, it's kind of like discipline is a muscle. I, I think that overcoming adversity, uh, I think all of this is something that you need to work on on a daily basis. So if you're doing something, to me, a workout isn't something that's easy. So if all of a sudden I'm working out a ton, I'm lifting weights um, and I'm able to lift a weight pretty easily. Well, it's like anyone. Well, now you lift a heavier weight. Um, and not that lifting weights was easy, but I've tried a lot of different things similar to what you're talking about. I've done CrossFit. I've done, um, I, I've ran, I've rode, I've lifted weights. So to me, it was, okay, well, if you're trying to do all these different things, um, and they're getting easier. Well, yeah, you can continue to do them and lift more weights. You can, you know, do a, a workout of the day faster. But running was never easy. It, it just was never something that came easy. It always hurt. It never felt good. So to me, it was like, okay, well, in my mind, I know I need to do this because it's not easy because it's something that's actually working out. Um, so I wanted to double down on it and just say, okay, I, it, this is the one thing that is a struggle for me. So I, I should probably do it cause I'll be better, uh, because of it. And it's funny cause I, I have this, um, where I live now, I, I kind of live on top of a hill. Our street is raised from the rest of the neighborhood, I guess. And, um, every time I leave my house, it's like this little half mile run. And then I go down a hill, and then I go for however long of a run I need to go. But I know as soon as I come back, the bottom of my street is this yep. big hill. And there's some days where I just stop and I walk up. 
But every single time I get to that hill, I look at it and I go, I, your workout starts now. Like, it doesn't matter yeah. if I ran three miles, six, 10, 15 miles. It's like, I know right now I want to quit. My mind's telling me I have to stop. And I could rationalize in my mind, well, I, I, I don't need to run up the hill now. I just ran 10 miles. I've got my full workout in. But I know in the back of my mind, I'm like, ugh, this is where you have to overcome that desire in your mind to quit. Because if you don't do it now, you've lost. Um, so yeah, it, you know, you kind of play games with yourself that way. And, and I kind of feel the same way about running. It's like, I never want to run. There's never a day in my life where I'm like, okay, go, go run now. I want to run. It's okay. Well, I know I don't, I don't want to, so I should probably do it because at least it's overcoming that desire to quit. Yeah. I mean, I think this is like, the whole purpose of, of wellness, um, for humanity, the, the company I, I work with and for is like taking pain and situations and making them better. So like, you know, um, there's this book called anti-fragile or anti. Yeah. It, and it's about a box, right? So we can label a box as fragile. And so you hope that everybody like treats this box, like it's something and it can break. Um, but what if instead of just like not even being a fragile box, you're like anti-fragile. So you take like anything that comes at it and you're still there and you're a better version of like whatever, a, a better than the, the fragile box. Right. Um, and it's just interesting how you can take situations. So COVID for instance, and our company was kind of born out of that. Um, we originally started with wellness in mind and, and to make people more in tune with their bodies, whether that's like healthy eating and knowing your gut and your superfoods and red light therapy and um, shared workspaces so your mind can flow properly and come up with really awesome ideas with uh, collaboration. But then when COVID hit, we were like, well, how can we take this situation and kind of like catapult us into like what we see the future of wellness is? Um, And so we saw how hard it was for people to get test kits. Um, we saw how difficult it was for people to know what tests to get. I mean, like you go there and, uh, originally in the middle of the pandemic, you didn't know the difference between a rapid and a PCR and an antibody test and people didn't really care. They just wanted the quickest result. And we realized that's maybe not the best answer always. And, um, you know, just like learning about where to go, like how to get them, where are we sourcing them from? How can we get PPE easier? And it's kind of like, well, we want to make all of that, um, in the wellness space in general. So that's kind of how wellness was born was, you know, the, the bottom of the hill and, and you're feeling, and, um, we're definitely still going uphill (laughs) and we we don't always want to be on the hill. Um, but we're trying to get to a place of, um, you know, a better version of the world. I mean, that's really our mission is, is to change the world. Uh, which is crazy to say. <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no better mission than that. But um, mm-hmm. if you're not doing that, then what are you doing? I guess. I mean, it's it's humanity, and, and humanity is in the the name of the company. So wellness for humanity is the company. And just to kind of go back, um, so that people really understand what it is and what you're doing. So you started working uh, with wellness for humanity um, a couple months ago, probably almost a, a year ago, and. You started working with them because during COVID, uh, it was a company that decided they could offer um, testing kits for COVID. So what specifically were you offering? How did people get it? I mean, how, how did it work? 
Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so I was still doing anesthesia when COVID first hit, but I had already quit my job to find that higher purpose. Um, at the time, I was looking at starting like a healthcare software because I thought that would kind of bring this like end-to-end solution in the surgical space. And so in February, like just prior to like shutting down outpatient surgery, I was like, you know what? Like I can work PRN, like anesthesia will always be here. Let me just like follow this like internal drive in myself. Um, so I told them my last day would be June 1st. And all of a sudden in March, like the entire rug got pulled from under me. Um, all the funding I had set up, all the money I had put into the company, um, everything just kind of was like a wash. Um, software company, right? This isn't wellness for humanity. Yeah. This was a software company that I was, I was starting. And, um, and so I ended up working in a COVID ICU and helped with the pandemic and worked night shift and just really, um, you know, put breathing tubes in people that were really struggling to breathe. And I just, I saw like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I was not in a good place. Um, I think the hardest part was like the source of PPE was so low. Um, and we didn't know anything about it and coming home to two kids and me feeling like I had reused the same mask, like over and over and over and that it didn't fit. And I was trying to get goggles on Amazon and I couldn't because everybody wanted goggles. Everybody wanted gloves. I mean, just regular world wanted these things and like the hospital can provide it. Uh, they basically told us to suck it up and use garbage bags. I mean, to be blunt. And um, that was scary. So like you would go into a room with a patient and they would be not doing well. And um, I had no idea the air filtration system, anything. And I'm like, I know like I'm this is falling on my body. And then I have to go home to two kids and I have to sit in my car and like, how contagious is this? And this is like when everybody's dying, you know? Um, so I'm glad I got through that. Um, but at the end of the day, they were like, well, we don't really have work for you in June. And uh, thanks for your service, but we're going to go back to outpatient surgery slowly. And so when we have work for you, we'll call you. <laughs> so it didn't how, feel how great. Did that, yeah, how did that, I was going to say, how did that feel? I mean, here you are kind of putting your life on the line in so many ways and no other aspect of medicine put their life on the line the way the anesthesia did. When you're intubating patients, that's where you're getting, you're right in the face. That's, that's where all, um, you know, there's droplets everywhere. Like you guys were the most exposed to everything. So you put your life on the line to, to save people in your community. And then you're, and then you're told, well, um, you know, we're, we're going to go back to outpatient surgery here soon. Good luck. We'll call you if you need you. I mean, how, how did that feel? What was it like? <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't, um, it really was like humbling, I think, because I realized at the end of the day, I just worked for a big corporation that um, I never want to talk bad about a company, but like, it's so hard when you're so big, right? And I knew what the nurses were doing that worked with me and they really like put their, I mean, they were like putting their life on the line as well every day, like with, with, with very little pay, with very little, like, like certainty of what was going to happen next of like going into a shift and you had no idea what was going to happen. like what kind of PPE would be available? Like who would be there to help you? You know, am I sick myself? I mean, and when these patients would come in, like they would say, Oh, they're like, we have a test pending, but like treat them like they do have it. Um, you know, and like you said, they're coughing in our face or putting the tubes in while they're not doing well. Um, yeah, so it was, it was awful. And then when they told me to just like, Hey, good luck. Like, see ya. Like, thanks for your help. I mean, it just, that like hit like, okay, well, like 
you are like, have to fight for yourself. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like if you're part of this big company that cares, right? Like it's all about like what I am doing at the end of the day. Like I, I can only take care of myself. Um, you can have this stable company, but it doesn't matter because something like a pandemic could cripple them at any moment too. Um, so I really felt like on my own, but I knew I had no choice. I had two kids. I had a house and, um, I was like, I have to find something, uh, when it was like the hardest time to find a job or start a company. Um, so I lucked out. I, I literally, I spent two months, um, like just soul searching and figuring out, uh, how I was going to make ends meet. And a friend of mine, uh, got involved with wellness when it was, you know, four people. And he said, Hey, like, do you want to help me open a uh, COVID testing site? And I was like, absolutely. Like, tell me what I need to do. Um, and I will make it happen. And, um, it just kind of grew from there. So that's, that's how I got involved. And, um, I'm now like the director of corporate operations and a location partner in two cities. Um, so I get to see, I got to see COVID from probably July through now. So big spikes and uh, people going through the holiday season, which was very intense, trying to get back to traveling. Uh, we do events. So we do a ton of like um, in-person stuff, which is is really fun. Uh, our goal is not to like judge people on what they want to do. So if they want to go out and they want to see family, like we totally respect that because it's not for everybody can't stay home. You know, there are some people that really do need to go to work. They need to see family. Like they need to see friends for their mental health, for their physical health. And so we're here to just offer that testing solution, no matter what they want to do with it. Um, so if a, a fan filled arena with basketball fans, like safely, you know, like in a, in a safe way is like good for our country and like what the NBA stands for, then like, that's what we're going to help do. Yeah. So when did you, I'm trying to think of the, the first question I want to ask about this. There's Sorry. so much. No. So you started by opening a testing facility in Atlanta, right? Is that right? Yep. yep. Okay. So when was that and how did that rollout go? Um, yeah. So we started, we opened uh, August 24th. Um, in Buckhead. And um, I can't tell you how hard it is to find a uh, landlord that's willing to offer an indoor space when you're like, hey, I'm just going to do COVID testing. Don't worry, nothing else. <laughs> um, so that was fun, uh, finding a place. But everybody up until when we had opened had always done this drive-through service, right? So they weren't really catering to this audience that we saw. We only saw COVID testing cater to sick people or people that thought they might be exposed. But what about the healthy people that wanted to go see their mom? What about the people that like maybe had a small cough? Or what about like the nurses and doctors who just are around COVID and want to regularly get tested? What about the people that just went to like work every day because they work in the restaurant industry and they have to go to work, but they don't think they're exposed? Like, why would I put them in an eight-hour drive-up line or in a, um, a sick center like you go into a walk-in clinic but like everybody there like you're like oh my god like this place looks <laughs> um so when we came up with this idea of like opening an actual brick and mortar we were like well we want to make it big so people feel safe because we knew social distancing was huge at that point um and still is so we we picked like this twelve thousand square foot space and then we said we want it very clean like 
you could see like, you know, any drop of like something, right? No (laughs) one knows clean like anyone that's worked in the OR. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So I wanted it clean lines. Like um, I envisioned like a Waffle House food kitchen, right? Like when I was like building the back of it. Like, you know exactly what the cook's doing. So that makes you feel good. Um, and so when we when we came up with the testing pods, we kind of like, were like, you can see when I change gloves, you can see when I put on my mask and all the things that I would want when I went somewhere. And then we came up with this idea of a wellness concierge, which I really think tied the entire piece together, which is here's your results, but like, here's someone that will answer every single question you have, whether you're positive, negative, and they're like, you're negative now, but could be positive in three days. And they give you like just unsolicited advice. There's no extra cost to that. Like this is what we give you and ask away. Like you want to call your mom, you want to phone a friend. Um, we're here to do all that for you. And then we hand you like actually educational material that we had up until, you know, August, there wasn't a ton out there, but like we were constantly looking on the CDC website, like new studies that had come up and said, Hey, this is like what we can offer you. Um, and so putting all those pieces together was really what was important, making it easy, you know? And, um, so we were slow at first because we we're all word of mouth. We were bootstrapping. We had no money, no funding. Um, so it was just kind of like word of mouth and experiences. And from when people came in to when they left, they were like, wow, like this is an experience. And, um, so that just like fires you up, even though I was doing like, can't even tell you when we first opened i was there like 15 hour days right um i was like mailing our pcr results which is the one that goes to the lab um you know like to texas on a prayer like that like the lab would like process them in time because i didn't really have a relationship with the lab like we were just like getting to know each other and um you know and i'm like talking to patients and trying to tell our story and our brand and i just I can't believe we made it, you know, like we would get three people and we would be like, Oh my God, three people came in today. (laughs) That's uh, such a, that's such a crazy thing. So you'd think that if companies were requiring people to come in specifically during this time, that they'd be at least offering the service. I mean, was this something that wasn't being done at all? Was this, was this just an opportunity for you to say, Hey, we need, someone needs to do this. Yeah. I mean, we would talk to big companies and say, aren't you guys going to like offer a back to work program? And they'd be like, well, we're good working from home or like they've already come up with a solution. So someone like Delta was already in the talks with some big company, right? Like they're not going to come to someone as small as us. They're going to partner with like a lab or CVS or someone who already has like the structure. But the issue with that is like, they can't mold like we can. So if you deal with like these big entities, it's like, how do you pivot? Like one day I want you know, PCR test or rapid test, but like the next day I want this and I need this last minute there. It's much harder to move a big ship. Right. Um, and so that was like our advantage and how we got some of our early contracts was just like, Hey, we'll do this for you. And like, if someone would call me at 2am, like I would literally, I would do house calls in my driveway. I mean, for people like for lawyer groups or doctor's offices for anyone that like, was like, I need a test today. And like, I know that you will watch this specimen from start to finish and ensure I get those results. And even if you don't have news for me, you will update me as we go. Like I found value in that and people I think saw that. 
So. Yeah, I think that's like the most valuable thing that any company can offer is an individualized experience to where you feel like as a as a client or a customer that you're I guess valued. And, mm-hmm. and that you're, it's, it's not just a, a notch or, or, you know, just a check mark. Yeah. Like, okay, well, we got this test, send it out. It's okay. This is Joe and, and Joe needs to go back to his law firm tomorrow because he has a brief and we need to make sure that, that Joe was taken care of it. It's not just, you know, yeah. client A or client B. So you were doing rapid testing. Um, so you had to send all these samples out to the lab. So we didn't have rapid testing in, in August. Yeah, we only had um, PCR testing, which is like usually the the test that uh, now is widely known, um, you know, as molecular testing. That's the one you need for international travel. Uh, it's kind of the gold standard because it tests the RNA of the virus rather than the protein. Okay, so what's the accuracy of this test that you're doing? So PCR testing has high accuracy, um, especially for um, if you've had COVID or have COVID. So um, a PCR positive will stay in your system for 45 to 60 days sometimes. Um, It's kind of crazy, but it's because it's like living in your body, like as part of your RNA. So that's, um, it's not the method of collection that matters. It's like what they're actually testing. So they'll take it to a high quality lab. They extract it. And um, some of the quickest labs, it still takes them 24 hours to get your result. So one of the labs we use in New York, a stat PCR takes 24 hours. So it just, it's a long process. It, it moves hands multiple times, um, but it, it extracts the RNA. So you've got, got like your answer for sure. Uh, the only way you can really get a false positive is um, like a computer error. Like, you know, say the cutoff is 50. And it reads 51 as a positive, but maybe they, that sample should have been rerun and it would have come back. You know what I mean? Something like that. Or uh, a sample got spilled um, or someone that's in the lab doing this. Uh, a contaminator cross-contaminate, something like that. So that's interesting. So you said um, like it could stay in your system for 45 to, to 60 days in terms of... Uh, so you could be positive technically... Mm-hmm. with PCR for 45 to 60 days. Now, how how does that affect or how did that affect people if they were getting a positive, but they had been sick in the past or if they, you know, how, how would they know how, I guess, contagious they were and how did that affect them if they did get this positive that could be 45 to 60 days out? Yeah, it's interesting. That's why um, our belief is like one test is no better than another and putting all three tests together, which is the rapid test, the PCR test and the antibody test together actually paints like a beautiful picture of like when you caught COVID, if you're recovering and where you are in the zone. So if you test positive on a PCR, but you're like, I feel fine. I'm so confused. Did I have it? Like, why am I still testing positive? Um, and you take a rapid test, which usually rapid pick up on contagion level. So how contagious am I right now? Um, the only problem with rapids is sometimes they don't pick up on their early side of contagion level, it definitely picks up from like when I start to feel crappy towards like, I'm probably not contagious anymore. A rapid will not usually be negative, but that one to two days that a PCR might pick it up and you're actually, you have a high contagious level, but you don't feel bad yet. It's hard for a rapid that moment. Um, but an antibody test, uh, you can start to get early antibodies about 10 to 14 days after you test positive. 
um, not after infection, after a positive PCR test. So I can really paint a beautiful picture like, hey, I feel fine, but I'm a positive PCR. Well, am I on the early phase or the late phase? So next test I would take would be a contagion test, which is the rapid test. And if that came back negative, then I'll say, okay, now I'm going to take an antibody test to see if I'm on like the late side or am I on the early side? And if antibodies show up, like, okay, cool. I'm probably already recovered from it. I'm not contagious anymore. And I'm already starting to gain some immunity. Whereas if like, I don't have any antibodies yet and my antigen test is negative, then I'm either super asymptomatic um, or I just am on like the very early phase of illness. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I got a really cool graph I'll share with you. Yeah, no, so I was gonna I was gonna ask about like how you um I guess how you have figured out like how to use all three of those together and, and kind of how you're doing that. If you can though, if you could stop playing with your um your things, that'd be great. AirPod. Sorry, it keeps falling out. falling out. I know, I know. Um yeah. But, um, so yeah, so you said when you started, you were just doing the PCR cause that's all they had. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, how did that evolve? How long did that take to where it was like, okay, we, we can actually get even more accurate. We can do a better service. Um, so how did you go from just doing PCR and brick and mortar to kind of this all encompassing, um, wellness COVID like experience solution? Yeah. Um, we really had to um, start sourcing. So luckily, our one of our co-founders and CTO um, had worked in China for a really long time and knew like a lot of good people. Um, he's worked in Me- Mexico and he's very well connected. And so we were always trying to figure out like, well, can we source kits from the US or should we go international? Like, we knew that China was way ahead of us as far as like treating this disease and um, like watching it through, right? So some of the US rapid kits that came out at first had terrible accuracy. Um, They were using like frozen samples. I mean, I don't know if you read any of the stuff that came out, but they were terrible. They would have like a 99% positivity rate for the day. Like when they would test 100 people, they would have 100 people come back positive and they would assume there was an outbreak. So like this is data like they, they thought was like real. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, where can we source these? So we did our own study at a lab in Houston and it was called like LTD certified. So it meant that it wasn't EUA yet, but that was like the best that was out there. Hey guys, hook a brother up. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate if you do three things to help me out. One, give it a five-star rating. Two, subscribe and leave a positive review. And three, Share it with a friend or all your friends on social media. This goes a long way in helping others find it and enjoy it as well. I really appreciate you listening and sharing. So let's get back to the pod. So yeah, we were um, test kits and running trials in Houston. And um, LTD, like we ended up passing for our rapid test. And these were like our own in-house rapids. Um, and then as we started to use those, like some became Clea waved, um, which was like the type of site we were, we were a Clea wave site. And so we were able to like more and more started coming onto the market. And that's, what's cool about COVID is like, everybody was like at warp speed. Right. So like one month, like was like real life of like, what would have taken a year in regular time. Right. <laughs> so like the test kits and like everything's changing all the time. And so we were able to get our hands on some really good 
um, rapid tests, which actually are behind me. I, we have our trespass ones and then our, we use the Abbott test, which we love. Um, so that's, that's kind of like that just evolved. And then in, in house, we would always compare them to PCR testing. So when I could, I would try and get clients to do both. Um, so I could see the, like the comparison and how well, like they really were doing. And like, I, we would ask clients their symptoms. So I was able to, in real time, perform my own science experiments. Um, on people, which I love. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. How how did people pay for these? I mean, was it was it just cash pay? Was it did insur- Did you have to work with insurance to get anything covered? Were companies paying for it? Yeah, I'm not um, because of our company and like the way we we see us um, changing the world. We didn't want to um, only take certain insurance um, companies and then like deal with all that like. I would have to hire five people to just like make phone calls to make sure we were in network or like provide these codes. So what we did is we, we provided patients with, we would ask them for cash up front and then we would give them reimbursable codes and 90% of people would get reimbursed um, as long as they had insurance. If someone was in an extenuating circumstance, obviously like they have no insurance, you know, they're a healthcare provider. Like we, we would always give discounts and constantly just do what we did. We just, to cover our overhead of like, you know, the lab isn't free and sourcing the test kits isn't free and shipping isn't free. So, and our staff and our building. So we, we just basically were charging to cover our overhead. Yeah. So the coolest thing that I saw with this was you started doing brick and mortar and you had a a building that people would come into and get tested, clean, open space. (laughs) And then you moved into vending machines with it. And the coolest thing that I saw was, and I think you'd posted it on your Instagram, was like Jimmy Fallon uh, had a thing about, <laughs> about your vending machine in New York. Uh, talk to yeah. me about actually going from like this this service to also providing uh, a, a vending machine for for contactless pickup of testing. Yeah, I mean it's crazy because, like you said, we in the beginning we just wanted to we just want to give solutions to whoever needs it, right? Like. Is that someone who wants to stay home? Is that someone that wants to go to an event? Is that someone that wants to give a test to a family member? And we found, well, like, yeah, you can order them online, but is that like, then you have to wait in the mail? And like, so our founders are like very, they're all um, very innovative. And they were like, well, let's put these in vending machines. You know, (laughs) Uh, we stirred the pot, I will say with that. (laughs) Um, So the FDA didn't really, you know, they're like, what is this? this? Is this a store? Is this a online store? Like, and we're like, no, it's like an extension of online store, right? Like you don't actually perform the test there. You take it home and you give it to someone else and you perform the test at home. Um, but, you know, we had to get that all in writing. Yeah. How'd you prevent that? <laughs> then, because I mean, it's not like it's a novel thing in terms of ordering like a uh, you get 23andMe or any of these like DNA kits and, and order it and it shows up and then you mail it out. So it's not like a novel idea of sending saliva off to a lab. Yeah. Um, it's more about like the kits that are sourced in the vending machine. So it, it gets super complicated um, when it comes to COVID and like, because I think people wrote things at like warp speed um, to get approved. So like, why is this test kit approved for at-home use and this one not? And so like when we put stuff in vending machines, we just had to prove like, yes, these are for at-home use. And like, 
you can order these online and things like that. So it just is like crossing. Yeah, it's, it was a lot of work. It still is. And we're still like um, dealing with how we can get other test kits in our vending machines. We want to put rapids in there as well as the saliva kits. And then um, we also have a kiosk model where it's like, think of like, um, I'm sure you've seen them before for like sunglasses. Like, yeah. you know, like or, in the mall or, like, or whatever. Or, yeah, mini, uh. mini containers, right? But like, think of like a really beautiful, clean, futuristic looking space where like you can look at test kits, but you can also talk to someone um, virtually that's there that like, I have questions about this test kit. And it kind of brings you in an algorithm of like, I'm sick today. And then we ask you questions subsequently to find which test is best for you. And we came up with these ideas seeing it in our brick and mortar stores because we were like, okay, like when someone walks in, my front desk staff spends like 10 minutes sometimes talking to someone about which test is best for them because it's not a one size fit all, right? Um, and as you see, if we could give everybody all three tests, like that's just what I would do. Um, but you know, that's not economical. So we really try and get to the bottom of the source and that's what these kiosks will be. That's what the vending machine is. It's like, before you go to the vending machine, you kind of take this online quiz to figure out do I need a rapid test? Do I need a PCR test? Do I need an antibody test? Or do I need to go to a location so I can actually physically talk to someone? Yeah, I love this because it's not just a product. It's it's like a it's a consulting service. Mm-hmm. And it's not and it's not just saying, hey, we have this, we have this kit that we want to sell to you. It's we're here to provide support in any way we can to make sure that you are able to do uh, what you need to do. And and I think that's really, I think that's cool. And I think that's different than what a lot of companies are willing to do. Um, And and I think that's what's the beautiful thing about (laughs) being a small company and and being able to pivot and, and being able to do that. So what have you seen with the progression of vaccines and the progression of testing? I mean, where do you feel like your company's going now? Is it adapting? I would imagine it's adapting at a rapid pace. <laughs> yeah, I love I love this. Because um, everybody's like, well, what are you guys going to do when, when COVID's over? And yeah, But it's exactly what you're saying, Ryan. Like, Our mission is really just to make it easy for people to get to have an experience no matter what's going on at the time. So right now it's COVID and that's why we focused all our efforts on getting the best testing solutions to people, getting people back to work, getting people back to um, events and seeing family um, or testing if they have antibodies after the vaccine. I mean, that's part of what we do as well. So we're here for that moment, but as we move, it's, it's wellness in general and it's, it's painting that big picture um, so that you have a better grasp on your health and what does that mean? So, so what does wellness mean to you? And how can we help you get to this good place of well-being, spiritually, physically, mentally? Um, because we know that that makes a better world. I mean, I'm a better employee. I'm a better mom. I'm a better wife. I'm, um, I'm a better friend when I feel good. Um, yeah, do you have specific plans to help kind of like proactive wellness with the company? Yes. And um, we're actually going to roll out some of those at the end of April. Um, we're going to start looking into like, you know, measuring testosterone levels, measuring uh, fertility, um, you know, different things that people are interested in, um, just like a regular blood count, like a CBC, you know. 
uh, to find out where I am. Um, we are really big believers in like understanding your gut and how that works and superfoods and how that changes. Like kale might be great for me, but actually it might not be good for you. Even though we always hear like kale is such a good food, but how does it react to my body? It's not the same as you. And that actually changes over time because like when I eat something all the time, then my body can get inflammation, you know, inflammation. And then, um, you know, once I stop taking it, maybe I need to reintroduce it. So it's not always like, Hey, I took one test right now and I'm done forever. Um, you know, that preventative piece. And so that's where we really see us, uh, transitioning to and using a wellness concierge and like this person that helps you, uh, not diagnose, but treat and like in the best way, like not just a bandaid on the problem. Um, yeah, it's, it's really cool because I think in a way, you, the company that, that, that you work for and that, that you've kind of helped create at this point, it, mm-hmm. it almost mimics the same journey you were on because yeah. <laughs> you were, you were treat, you were reactive to injury when you're in the operating room and you were an anesthetist, you were, you were reacting to the fact that someone was injured and, and you were, you were still healing them and you were treating them. You were just doing it kind of after, after the injury. And it, you know, you started this company and, and you guys have been reactive in terms of you're offering a service that reacts to COVID that, that people need to get back to work. So you have offered a solution to that, this concierge medicine um, and testing, and that this transformation that you've made in this mindset of, well, I want to be more preventative uh, and, and focused on wellness. Uh, it's really cool to see that you're, you're working with a company that kind of has that same mentality of going from reactive to proactive and, and having that same value and focus on, on preventative kind of medicine and wellness, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, have you heard of um, like biohacking and like kind of about that space? Yeah. So I have. And it's, it's something that I've always actually been really interested in. Um, I've never really, and it, I'm really glad that we're talking about it because I've never really found like a very central um, area to where you can find a lot of information. So maybe, you know, wellness for humanity will actually be that source. I think that there's a lot of people that do focus on it. I think that there's a lot of experts in different areas, um, not all put into one place, but I've always been really interested in that specifically with cystic fibrosis in terms of how I can obviously optimize my health and my life. And I've tried every single diet that you could possibly try just to see, you know, what works best with my body. And and like we talked about earlier, I mean, I've tried all sorts of different workouts. So yeah, I love the idea of getting um, less, what would it be? Uh, Less subjective and more objective in terms of um, like blood testing and really understanding the science behind what's going to optimize your body. Um, So yeah, I, I absolutely love the idea of that. Well, I was going to say you actually, without everybody, or some people think of biohacking as like all these extreme changes, but it's not. You actually biohacked yourself when you told me the story earlier of like, I tried medicine and it didn't work. And I tried an extreme running and I feel better. That was a biohack, right? Like you listened to your body and made it perform better after like through struggle. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Like we're just this third party company that will be extensions of these ideas um, yeah. that people come up with. You know, we're not the source. Like we're, we have ideas, but we're just utilizing what the world has already created and putting them, like you said, in like one place 
and saying like, let's be open to different things because it's not a one size fit all. Yeah. And, and just to clarify too, um, cause I don't want people to think that I don't believe that like medicine didn't work because right. yeah. like running helps me. Nothing helps me more than going into the hospital and getting a pick line of IV medicine. Well, that, that, yes. that works really, really well. <laughs> and, and you know, you, you talk to people who are like, Oh, I'm going to beat cancer with fasting. It's like, well, yeah, you know what? Try that. Try that because that might really help and you might really get some great results from that. Yeah. But also go go to an oncologist. Um, it's it's because the radiation it's... helps a lot too, you know? Yeah. So, but but exactly. optimization is is key. And I think that like what you guys are doing or or what you're aiming to do is really important because I think that, you know, kind of how we were saying, well, healthcare is in silos and there's so much separation between different experts. Well, there does need to be an expert in wellness and there's people that are out there doing it. But if you can, if you can be a resource in terms of offering the tools to kind of optimize and supplement modern medicine with, um, with wellness, I mean, that's, that's so important. And, and I'd love, I'd love just a really reliable place to go to find that information. Yeah. And that there'll be real test results that you can utilize to take back to your physician. So we're never saying like only do you know, the like non-traditional ways. It's it's this big arching goal of like, you can utilize them together. It's not only this or only this. And exactly what you're saying, like, hey, if I'm not feeling great, of course, like I'm going to go to the doctor and like get like the, the medicine that I need. But in between those times, like what am I doing to avoid that, you know? Or how can I put myself at my best self regardless of what's going to go on? Like to slow it down or to make it more, you know, comfortable along the way. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So so I love it. So what have you, what have you found in your life? That's, that's been like your best biohacker. Wow. Um, (laughs) It's a good one. Uh, For me, meditation is actually like the best thing that I can do. Um, I really like, am the type of person that crams as many things as I can uh, into one day. As you can see, I like try and reconnect or I'm five minutes late constantly. I almost always miss my airplane, like uh, checking my bag, like down to the minute. It, it's pretty close. Um, but when I find that stillness, like it's hard for me, right? Like what you said, like, I don't want to run up the still. I don't want to take 10 minutes today, but I get, so I'm such a better person on the other side of that, that I'm like, okay, I need to do this today. Um, and I've done some breathing. Um, breath work that really is um very valuable like it's weird when you're like an intense exerciser which i am like i'm like why would i like do breath work like i'm i like run hard and like i get out of breath um you know like isn't that the same and um it really is kind of like amazing where your mind can uh open up to like new ideas and new possibilities and and just make me better for meetings make me better for my staff and um so that's that's my best biohack <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Heather, I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, one last Thank question you. for you. What what do you want to what kind of example do you want to set for your kids? I mean, what what do you want to show them through kind of doing all this? I love this. Um so it's hard as a mom to be all in on an on a new idea, on a startup, on a company, because I feel like so much of my time is put into making uh, the world a better place or this work and uh, other people to see our dreams come to life. 
And so on this journey, my goal is to show my kids, like, put your heart into something and it will happen. And I try and take them with me as much as possible. So even though I'm not with them as much as I'd like, um, I really try to make the moments with them matter. And uh, I think that's the overall goal of our company is, you know, we're all here in each other's lives and whatever you need us for, we're here, but like, we'll give you the best of what we have. And, you know, when you ask for something. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Heather, how <laughs> can people you. find you and your company? Um, so we're on Instagram at w number four humanity dot or humanity, and then our website is w the number four humanity dot com. And I am Heath in Wellness, which you will have to tag because it's confusing for people. <laughs> but um, thank you, Ryan. I, I love that we've connected on so many levels. Uh, you're also a huge Bills fan, which I love for my husband. And uh, <laughs> it's been an awesome year. I feel like Next you're I'm always be connected. Yes. To you and um, I just appreciate getting to know you. Well, I miss seeing you every day. I know we, we spent so much time together in the operating room. It's great to catch up, and it's been it's been years since we've we've talked and seen each other. So this was really awesome, and I'm I'm so happy that we were able to catch up. And I love what you're doing, and I I love that that you're out there just taking a risk and, and trying to change the world. It's awesome. It's, it's it's inspiring, and I love to see it. Well, thank you. I, I feel the same about you. You're making a big difference and uh, giving a lot of people with CF some, some hope and value and even others like just get off my butt today, you know, and do something different. Absolutely. Well, Heather, so. thank you so much. And I, I look forward to seeing what you and, and Wellness for Humanity have in store for, for the world and the healthcare industry. 